Following the preaching, we'll have a word of prayer, asking the Lord to bless it by His Holy Spirit. And then we'll sing a song of praise, Psalter 406, all the stanza, based on Psalm 149. Let me begin this sermon with asking the children in church if, if you already made what we sometimes call a snow angel in this winter season. You know where, children, you lie down on your back in the snow and you wave your arms up and down on the snow and your legs back and forth and then, then you carefully get up and then you look back and it looks like you made a snow angel, what we call a snow angel. I, I remember as a kid, we used to have contests who could make the most beautiful so-called snow angel. Really, we have to say, actually, we don't know what angels look like. The Bible says they are ministering spirits. Yes, they appeared once in a while in a certain form, but they're ministering spirits, mostly invisible to us. Hebrews 1.14 mentions angels are ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation. The Bible does make clear that there are many, many angels. Some have fallen, but many, many good angels. And they are very involved in God's works and ways. We are never to worship them, but we may learn from them and what the Bible tells us about them. And here, congregation, let's just think, in connection with Jesus coming, do you know how many times we're told of angels with Jesus' first coming, born in Bethlehem? You can check it yourself later, but you will find at least seven, and I find that significant by itself, seven references to angels. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem. That's amazing. And you can check it for yourself later. And we know later on in Jesus' life, angels are mentioned. When he was tempted of the devil 40 days and nights. And in the Garden of Gethsemane. And with Jesus' resurrection. And with his ascension. Angels' congregation are part and parcel of the whole gospel message mentioned almost 300 times in the Bible. In 1 Timothy 3.16, the apostle Paul speaks of the gospel saying this, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. He means without question, great is the wonder of the Christian gospel of godliness. And then he expands, God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Well now, in this sermon further, I would like to consider with you what the Apostle Peter says about angels. In the passage we read from 1 Peter 1, verse 12c. He, he writes in this passage that we read with great enthusiasm. You know Peter. He was so enthusiastic for the gospel. And that comes out when you read even the verses we read. And, and Peter declares the gospel about Jesus Christ come to this world 
to seek and to save sinners and him suffering on behalf of sinners and, and dying and, and then re- being raised again and ascending back to glory. It's such a great gospel. And Peter says, it's something that the Old Testament prophets, that they proclaimed, but they didn't totally understand, but they, they knew it was for the future. And, and, and they, were, they, were, they were so excited about it themselves and wondering, inquiring about it. But then he says, as almost a climax... And this gospel is something that the angels desire to look into. It's the gospel about, he says, which things the angels desire to look into. Let's think about that. What does that mean? In studying our text further, our sermon theme is, the angels are for the amazing gospel of Jesus Christ. And after explaining this some more to you, what it means, we will consider how it gives truly further evidence, congregation, of the tremendous wonder and worth and welcome of the gospel. Have you thought about this much at all, if at all, that the gospel of Jesus Christ come to this earth as a baby and all that it means it's things which the angels desire to look into. To explain more what Peter means here we need to look closer at what he says. What Peter tells us here congregation is that the salvation God prepared to be revealed in the last time that is the full revelation of God in and through Jesus Christ, come to be the Savior of sinners, and all that that means for all who repent and believe, Peter proclaims to us, that's something that the angels, who are the heavenly servants of God, the good angels now, that numberless number, we don't know how many, they're always having an interest in it. They show an intense desire and constant interest to understand it. Literally, they are ever stooping down to look with wonder at the whole gospel message in reference to the full and final salvation of sinners like us in and through Jesus Christ. These angels who kept their original integrity, we're not speaking of the wicked angels, But these good angels, a heavenly host, strong and mighty, ever in the presence of God and excelling in wisdom and strength in ways we cannot tell. What does Peter tell us? These faithful created beings in glory find their happiness and their constant delight in always contemplating the divine excellencies and outworking of God's salvation's plans and works in and through the person and Work of Jesus Christ, the Savior of sinners. And Peter uses a strong word here, a strong verb for desire. And it's in the present active verb tense, telling us that this is the angel's constant focus. In other words, throughout the ages, congregation, the angels keep having this fascination on the unfolding works of God in the salvation of sinners. And the verb to look into further reinforces this. For that verb in the original refers to 
bending down to look closer at. Someone said it actually refers to stretching out your neck to look, to look in awe. Maybe you think of people that study stars and they look in a telescope. Or people that study biology and look at a cell through a microscope. The same verb to look into here, stoop to look into, is used only seldom in Scripture, but you know where it's found else in the Gospel of John? When Mary Magdalene came into the empty tomb, weeping, and she wept, and she stooped down to look into the sepulcher. John 20, verse 11. Likewise, we read of Peter, that he came to the tomb, and after he ran there, you know, with John, and he stooped down to look into it, and he beheld the linen clothes. But can you imagine these two looking at that tomb? They're stooping down and they're peering into that tomb. It's the same verb used in our text. Wide-eyed, they must have looked, full of What's this all about? How can it be? What does it mean? Well, Peter tells us, congregation, what God has planned and worked out in the whole gospel way and is calling and gathering and preserving a people saved for now and forever in and through Jesus Christ and all God plans yet in the future too. Listen, this is the gospel truth. Why? The angels just can't get over it. So staggered and amazed with it all are they. The angels... Yes, speaking of the good angels, they are always desirous to look more and more with outstretched neck into the unfolding of God's plans and ways as it happened. You know, with Jesus coming to this earth, the angels couldn't believe what they were witnessing. And all through Jesus' life and gospel ministry, they kept being astounded and so intensely interested and admiring all the things that were unfolding. And you know what? To this day, God saves sinners and gathers His church and accomplishes all His gospel plans and fulfills all His gospel promises and prophecies and the angels in heaven are peering into it all and, and with utmost awe and adoration before God and enjoy for His people. The things of God for us and in us through Jesus Christ, they are the treasures which things the angels desire to look into. Isn't it special just to think about this together now? Actually, you know, it shouldn't really surprise us what Peter says in our text. If you know your Bibles... There's a clear clue in the Old Testament already that God gave telling us about this ongoing, undying interest and fixation of the angels concerning God's gospel plans and ways. Do you know the clue? The foreshadowing of this truth in the Old Testament? If I mention it, you'll say, yeah, of course. I'm thinking here of the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. Remember, children? Remember, congregation? On the ark, there were two angels facing each other, but not looking at each other. 
What were they looking at? They were facing each other. Their wings were spread out, facing each other. But they were looking at the mercy seat, a plate in the middle, on top of the Ark of the Covenant, a golden plate. That's what they were looking at. In Exodus 37, verse 9, it describes the two cherubim made of gold with the mercy, with the mercy seat this way, quote, and the cherubims spread out their wings on high and covered with their wings over the mercy seat with their faces one to another, even to the mercy seat word, with the faces were the faces of the cherubim. So they weren't looking at each other, but looking down at that mercy seat. And you know, I think, don't you, the mercy seat was where the blood of the sacrifice would be sprinkled, telling of the forgiveness of sins through the once-for-all sacrifice of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, the Savior, coming to this world. It is striking that Peter, in the beginning of the chapter we read, 1 Peter 1, verse 2, he also speaks of the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Those two cherubim congregation ever gazed, gazing down upon that mercy seat reflect the truth of what Peter teaches in our text, how always the angels are so intensely interested and overwhelmed in astonishment and amazement at the unfolding of the gospel plans and promises in and through Jesus Christ, the Savior of sinners. Dear congregation, we are in the Advent season before Christmas, aren't we? When we think, again, especially of the wonderful gospel message of God so loving this world that He gave His only begotten Son to this world, to on earth, to come to serve as Savior of sinners. We know that gospel. We hear it often. But, but to stir you up now in true faith and refreshing and renewed repentance and hearty gratitude to God about this all, consider with me the angels' endless interest and amazement with this all. Picture with me. Picture it well. Don't forget the picture of the angels ever looking into this gospel with all interest. And must you not agree with me considering, considering the angels' awe for the amazement and, and their amazement for the gospel of Jesus Christ. How it gives us surely further evidence of the tremendous wonder and worth and welcome of the gospel. In regards to our text, 1 Peter 1.12, see, telling of the wonder of the gospel, considering the angels' undying interest and fascination for it, doesn't, doesn't it, if you just think about it, doesn't it bring out more the wonder of the gospel? Think of it how for all the angels, always in the presence of God, the good angels, in unspeakable glory there, and, and the angels, they know a lot. They're given wisdom, power, but, and they, certain power, but, but, but they, they know a lot about God's wisdom and power and and even just with the creation of the world. Think of that, with the creation of the world. We read in, in Job 38 that the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy with the creation of the world and of man in the beginning. And think of the angels really rejoicing in, in the things of nature, 
the wonders of nature as God has created it and designed it. It's astounding, really. And just for one example, just for one example, did you know about woodpeckers? Woodpeckers. That when they, with their bills or beaks, hammer away at trees in search for food, God actually designed them in such a way that they don't get headaches and that their eyes don't pop out with their incessant knocking their heads into wood. You see, God gave them for their drumming activity not only a remarkably strong bill or beak, but also an incredibly tough skull with a special feature, including a spongy substance that cushions their head and brains from the impact of continuously hammering against trees. And believe it or not, Woodpeckers also have a special creative feature of a third eyelid that closes right before each hammering to keep their eyes from popping out. Well, the angels, I say, who know about many of the wonders of nature, I'm guessing far more than we do, they they could have had endless reasons to be looking into God's creative wisdom and power in the realm of nature and, and just being overwhelmed with awe. Yet, notice what the text says. They don't, it doesn't, Peter doesn't specifically tell that they are always looking into, into the realm of nature in awe. But he says, they're always looking into the wonders of the gospel of Jesus Christ and God's recreative wisdom and power and accomplishments with the Lord Jesus coming to this earth, sinners like us to save. The angels surely do study and uh, do praise God always for his wonders as creator and preserver of all things. We, we, don't, we can't say much about that, but, but our text tells us they worship him especially as Savior God. And they are always looking into particularly all that that means because they, they, see, they see and recognize God's salvation plans and accomplishments through His Son, Jesus Christ, are a wonder above all wonders, a wonder including infinite wonders, so awesome beyond all our imagination and expression. In Ephesians 3, verse 10 and 11, Paul, in fact, writes, he writes about how the full gospel of Jesus Christ is, is something Worked by God, quote, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church, what God all does for the church, the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed and accomplished in Jesus Christ our Lord. The point is, do you see it with me? The fact that the angels are ever desirous to look into all the matters relating to the gospel how that proves, congregation, do we, do we realize enough the wonderfulness of the gospel? Do we realize enough, yes, the wonderfulness of the gospel? I dare say, all of us don't. Well, what is so wonderful about it? Well, it is this, it is this. That with the gospel and the coming of the Lord Jesus to this earth as Savior, we see God, the infinite, holy, independent, righteous God, working to solve the problem of sin. There is no human solution to the horrible, cursed problem of sin that we caused 
And there's no solution to God's righteous eternal punishment for sin we deserve and will receive of ourselves. There's just no escape from everlasting condemnation and judgment for all our sins and sinfulness as we all deserve. Except God find a way. And the gospel is, congregation, about God not only knowing a way of escape, but accomplishing for us, in fact, that way of complete and free and full salvation from sin and evil and making a way of real and everlasting acceptance and reconciliation with God again, even for sinner rebels like you and me. But let's realize, let's realize that gospel way required nothing less than the infinite divine wisdom and power and mercy and love and holiness of God. And our text tells us all the angels are amazed with this. And you know, all the angels, I don't know how many, but many, many, very many thousands, ten thousands and ten thousands, throughout the ages, the good angels, they certainly could not come up with a way of God-pleasing, God-approved deliverance from sin and full salvation of sinners like us. No, they, they could never come up with a plan that would work. But God, He, even from eternity, planned a way. A way where He could and would uphold all His just and holy standards and yet fully display infinite mercy and love and thus accomplish full and free salvation for sinners. It is a way astounding beyond words. But God the Father thought of the way God the Son accomplished the way, and God the Holy Spirit makes known the way, the way of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And our text tells us now, just keep this in mind, I hope you never forget it, the angels just can't get over it as they see God's plan unfolding. God would work a work of salvation, not negating His unchangeable being, nor making His law void in any way. But when where, one where he changes not and his law is upheld to the last and minutest detail even while at the same time his boundless love is shown to us beyond measure. Oh, the way is through Jesus Christ's congregation. Come in the flesh. Yes, born in Bethlehem to give his life as a ransom for many and as crucified and risen Savior, accomplishing redemption, full and free for all his people, as many as come to him, as many as are ordained to eternal life. Do you and I realize the infinite wonder and everlasting wonders of the gospel tidings through Jesus Christ? As one put it, do you agree? O oh, loving wisdom of our God, when all was sin and shame, a second Adam to the fight and to the rescue came. Dear congregation, see the angels amazed with hearing God in the Garden of Eden giving the mother gospel promise in Genesis 3.15. But a promised Savior one day. Yes, the seed of the woman to be born 
in Bethlehem to overcome sin, Satan, death, and hell. See the angels amazed with God's long suffering in the whole Old Testament age and keeping a remnant and and staying faithful, who were staying faithful to, and he himself staying faithful to his gospel promise. Regardless of the rebelliousness of the people over and over, he stayed faithful to send the Savior one day. Yes, from the seed of Abraham, a son of David even. Yes, even, even for the rebellious, thankless, wicked, undeserving, guilty people such as we are all left to ourselves. See him in the fullness of time send forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. Oh, behold, the angels, a very few involved directly, yes, but many more peering down at the Christ child wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Think of it, how they must have thought, how can it be that the creator of the universe would be here on earth, God come in the flesh, God incarnate, lying in a manger? Imagine, they must have thought the Son of God in so lowly a state as a Son of Man. Oh, for the angels' congregation, for them, something like this could just never have entered their minds. Wouldn't the angels wonder, too, that Jesus was not at least born in a palace in in great splendor? For is he not the Son of the Highest? And the Lord of glory. But no. In a cradle. Feeding trough for animals. The beginning of his journey of humiliation. As sin bearer. And look how the angels wondered. Don't you think when they saw Jesus suffering so. In his life as sin bearer. And then in his whole earthly journey, suffering that way, and then, and then most excruciatingly so as substitute for sinners in Gethsemane and before Pilate and then on Golgotha. How can it be? And when the angels saw how Christ actually triumphed over all his enemies and accomplished so great salvation through his shed blood on the cross of Calvary and how he arose from the dead and then ascended back to heaven, Oh, how endlessly amazing they find this all, and so infinitely wonderful indeed. And isn't it most wonderful, congregation? Most wonderful, too, the way the Lord calls and draws sinners since Christ's finished work here on earth in the application of that gospel to his people. He's drawing sinners from all places and races and ages, calling them through the gospel to himself, through Jesus' once-for-all sacrifice for sin, yes, by grace alone, through faith alone, in him alone. Isn't it most wonderful to think how the whole triune God is so involved in the salvation of any and every sinner who comes to the Savior? No matter how often you come, And think about what God has all planned further for his people. Oh, as the angels also witness the Savior in glory, preparing a place for his people. Oh, it's so infinitely marvelous. The angels know this, and they can't, and they don't, just don't get over it. These gospel tidings which angels desire to look into, stooping over with outstretched neck, constantly. 
See their interests with so much wonder. Peter, in his first epistle, as the first chapter also shows, he's writing to people suffering for the gospel's sake, Christians. And people then, as now also here, they go through all kinds of hardships and stresses, going through all kinds of trials. Yes, you too. And Peter telling about the angels here, unceasing interest in the gospel is bringing out all the more to them. Look, there's every reason not only to, to trust the gospel initially, but to cling to it always and to, and to witness it to others as we are able. For, for there's no greater wonder. There's no greater wonder that could ever be than the gospel tidings and God saving a people through His Son, Jesus Christ, and what He has done, and gathering a church, and preserving a people, and bringing them to glory, all for Jesus' sake alone. Paul, Peter says, not only did the prophets of old foretell of this gospel message, and, and of the gospel age, with searching, longing, and delight, but, but the angels probe into it with endless amazement. Congregation, shall we not learn from this shall we not then also this advent season 2022 also show delight and interest in Christ's coming to this earth sinners to save and interest in the gospel of Jesus Christ also for a sinner like you and like me someone said the angel's constant desire to look into it should make us blush. Do you see reason to blush this morning? Hearing of the angel's unceasing interest in the salvation works of God. Should, should we not be so ashamed, congregation, for any and all disinterest or plain indifference in this matter or, or thinking we, we know it all and we've heard it so many times and, and what else can we learn and why further dwell on the same old, old story? Oh, do we not have reason to pray for God to open our eyes to behold the wonders of His holy laws and His boundless love and the incredible treasures of the gospel. Have some of you perhaps never yet seen the wonder of the gospel? And even still now, your ears and your eyes and your heart is closed to the treasures of the gospel being so filled instead with the passing vanities of this world. You know... I think of our world presently so caught up in the FIFA Soccer World Cup contest. And while exciting, no doubt, how sad, how very sad, the way fallen mankind is so intent on peering at with outstretched neck at adult men chasing a ball in a field, all which is, relatively speaking, just so irrelevant and trivial and unimportant. Especially when 
neglecting and despising the gospel message, which is most relevant and all important for us all. Oh, how we all need to be brought to see the wonders of the gospel. Yes, also because the worth of this all, the worth of this all, which the angels desire to look into, is immeasurable, incalculable. I read that the Arabian soccer team, which won one of the first games, surprisingly, that the leader of Arabia is now giving them each a Rolls Royce, each player of that team. Do you think that's great? Well, it's great, I guess, but it's nothing. It's nothing compared to what God gives for his people, trusting him in and through Jesus Christ. And saying that leads me now to how the angels always peering into the gospel treasures should not only teach us truly the wonders of the gospel, but also the worth of the gospel. Yes, the worth. Think of it, how the angels can't stop being amazed not only what God has done and is doing to save sinners, but that He still will do. Think of it also that while they are endlessly and intensely interested in these things, they themselves cannot be and are not the recipients of salvation. The good angels don't need salvation. The Bible tells us a whole number of fallen angels fell away from God, perhaps one-third, according to text in Revelation. And those fallen angels, they became the devil and the demons. But for them, for them, there is no promise or provision or prospect of salvation ever. Why does God offer to fallen, wicked mankind a gospel? Whereas there's no gospel for the fallen angels. Think about that. At the same time, don't we have to say, the good angels who never fell, I said it already, they don't, they don't need salvation at all. But they're so interested in it. Sinful mankind, including you and me here, this whole human race created in God's image, that rebelled against the Lord, in His sovereign grace and mercy, congregation, He has made a most gracious and glorious way of salvation Deliverance for us through Jesus Christ, the Savior, His own Son, come to this earth. And we see the good angels so infinitely interested and joyfully involved in God's salvation plan for sinners. Do you agree with me how this underscores not just the wonder of the gospel, but its infinite worth? Telling of God's plans through Jesus Christ and His provision. You know, the angel's fascination, as Peter relates that, is all God's further proclamation to us, dear congregation, to embrace the gospel and to put all our weight on the, on the gospel promises in and through Jesus Christ. The sooner the better, and the more the better. And you will never be put to shame. Are you stiff-necked about this gospel or stretched out? Looking at it, thinking about it. You know, the angels are not wasting their time ever looking into the gospel way. No. If, for it is, it is of endless wonder and worth, they know, what God has done and is offering in and through Jesus Christ, the Savior of sinners. What a shame 
And what a blindness. If we, who are always needing salvation, show no interest in what God has accomplished and promises through Jesus Christ, while the angels, who can't benefit from God's saving purposes, really, show endless interest in it. Oh, see the angels ever looking to the mercy seat of God's judgment with the blood of Christ sprinkled on it in the place of sinners and be awakened, stirred up, won't you? In the way of faith and repentance before the Lord. Behold the angels so glorying in Christ the Savior. And will anyone here, sinful as we all are by nature, And with the offer of salvation rich and free in and through Jesus Christ, really not hear and not not heed, not believe, not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ? What must the angels think when they observe lost, guilty sinners shrug their shoulders and turn their backs on the astounding, blessed, rich, freely offered gospel of Jesus Christ? What must they observe? What must, they, what must they think if they observe church people, covenant people, covenant children and youth too, covenant confessing Christians even, together with their families, having seemingly little interest in the things of God and, and repeatedly finding all kinds of reasons even not to come to church perhaps even as the doors, the church doors are open, but there's so many other things to do, better things to do, you say. Congregation, the angels can never have enough of it, but we who so need it, and for whom the gospel really is, you can have enough of it. You can become tired of it, bored about it. God forbid it be so with any of us, with you or me. Shouldn't this sermon awaken you and me, one and all, to more diligence in God's ways under his blessed gospel, seeing and hearing now also about the angel's unceasing interest in that gospel? Indeed, and here let me think yet with you how this word of Peter about the angel's endless interest in the gospel so underscores not just the wonder and the worth of the gospel, but the welcome of the gospel, the welcome. The gospel is not for angels, but it's for sinners. And while the gospel clearly relates the good angels don't need salvation, we sinners of ourselves, we always do need salvation. Anyone here honestly yet not know this? How you need the Lord Jesus to save you from your sins and sinfulness? You know, even the young children in church, You know how much you need Jesus, don't you? Every time you sin at home or at school. Listen now. What welcome there is with Jesus for all who come to him for his forgiving mercy and his full salvation from all sin and evil. You know, we we can say, can't we, while the gospel surely relates there is clearly no salvation for the fallen angels and the good angels as I said don't need it the gospel does clearly say over and over there is salvation for fallen sinners and it's freely and sincerely offered to all sinners and the angels with outstretched neck 
Observe that too. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, writes Paul in 1 Timothy 1.15, that Christ Jesus came into the world, what for? To save sinners. Is there anyone here who thinks God doesn't mean that really for you? Or will you just not hear that gospel call? You know, in Luke 15, verse 10, Jesus tells us, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents by the grace of God. Yes, for the angels are filled with exceeding joy and praise to God whenever seeing another sinner saved. Oh, that the angels might again and again clap their hands in joyful delight with the true repentance from sin for a first time and afresh and true faith in Jesus for a first time and afresh on the part of many here too in Bethel, FRC, Monarch, Alberta. Surely there's reasons to say to have our hearts melted and our tongues loosed and to say with the angels, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. God has accomplished a way. It's amazing. Well, may God bless His word, including this part about the angels' unceasing interest in His gospel ways through Jesus Christ. And don't anyone here, please, don't anyone here think that the Lord has, 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 has to do more to save a sinner like you. No, the angels... They see, wow, he's, he's, done, he's done everything. Everything and more. He calls you to trust him as only Savior God. Also for a sinner exactly like you. Trust him today. Do not harden your heart in unbelief through the deceitfulness of sin. Don't minimize your guiltiness and your unwillingness to be saved and Rather, maximize God's graciousness and willingness and power to save to the uttermost all that come unto God through Him, even the most guilty and unwilling and hardened of heart by nature. Let the witness of the angels in heaven, you know, as Peter describes them, let the witness of the angels give further reason to come to Christ without delay. And from even the angels, you can know there is room for you too with Jesus. It's what their astonishment is always about. In fact, let, let the angels be further amazed even this morning with Jesus' saving power, seeing you too saved by grace through faith in Him. And don't let them be astounded seeing you turn away from Him again. Yes, God triune, he always shows himself more than willing to save sinners. And the Bible tells us judgment is his strange work. And he's yet long-suffering. He delights in mercy. And the angels are amazed with that too. How he's ever ready to forgive all who come to him. Well, the angels were so involved when Jesus first came. We counted at least, you can look it up, at least seven times just when Jesus came to this earth. And, you know, the angels will be very involved when Jesus returns again for his second coming, for the last judgment. 
They will be God's holy instruments in casting all unbelievers and unsaved into eternal hell with all the demons and fallen angels and the devil himself in everlasting chains to be kept and cast away there. But they will also be joyfully involved, ministering to all God's saved people and carrying them and welcoming them into, into the eternal kingdom of heaven even for as many as, as took seriously the rich, boundless gospel tidings. Those very things the good angels just, just can't ever get over. Oh, congregation, I end with this. The angels are for the amazing gospel of Jesus Christ. It is for their evidence of the tremendous wonder and worth and welcome of the gospel. For whoever has ears to hear, you won't forget it, will you? Even so, blessed Advent, now and to come, with ever looking to Jesus, whom to know is life eternal. You know, snow angels, as you try to make them, they don't last, they're not real. They melt away. But the word of the Lord about the true angels abides forever. May it never have to testify against any one of us. For how shall we escape? if we neglect so great salvation. Thus saith the Lord. Amen. Let's pray.